0: I'm Dr. Wendy Wolfman. I'm a professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Toronto. And I'm a board member of the International Menopause Society and the president of the Canadian Menopause Society. I also run the menopause clinic and the premature ovarian insufficiency clinic at Mount Sinai Hospital. So all the presenters that you're going to hear today attended the International Menopause Society 2022 world congress that took place from october 26th to october 29th and today it gives me great pleasure to introduce dr claudio suarez and he's from kingston he's a professor and head of the department of psychiatry at queen's university school of medicine he's going to summarize the highlights of two interesting presentations from the meeting that I'm sure you'll find very illuminative. He's gonna be talking about perimenopause as a window of vulnerability for depression. What have we learned so far? And the science of brain fog at menopause. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Suarez, And we're looking forward to your presentation. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Wolfram, for the nice introduction. It's my pleasure to be part of this exciting program. Uh, I will first um, present to you some of the content that I had a chance to present in, in Lisbon at the IMS uh, about the perimenopause is a window of vulnerability for depression. And what have we learned so far? So the first thing that I highlighted during my presentation was the fact that really women are more likely to be affected by depression than men. And it really it happens across the, the reproductive life cycle but there are certain windows of vulnerability that women are known for being more exposed to depression. And they tend to be associated with the reproductive events like premenstrual periods, perimenopause and the perinatal periods. But there's also a window of opportunity. Once we learn about the windows of risk, there's an opportunity for us to tailor the treatment for midlife women. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. So the next, the next, um, Concept or a couple of concepts I'd like to highlight for you today is the idea of a timing or window of vulnerability that happens during the depression in menopause women or, or midlife women. So, on one hand, we know that the changes that are happening in estrogen levels and the wide fluctuations of estrogen during that time tend to be associated for some women to a higher vulnerability or with a higher vulnerability to depression during the menopause transition. In other words, the greater the hormonal fluctuations, the higher the risk for some, but not all women to be depressed. The flip side of that is, which is the window of opportunity is the idea of um, administering estrogen or offering estrogen, particularly estradiol 17 beta estradiol as a way to minimize or reduce the hormonal fluctuations. And by doing that, one might be able to diminish or even prevent the occurrence or severity of mood symptoms during the menopausal transition. In other words, on one hand, you have a high risk for depression during those hormonal changes. On the other hand, you have the opportunity to use estrogen to minimize that risk or even prevent the risk of depression in your life women. So then the next step was really to highlight some of the options um, for treatment of symptomatic menopausal women. And we highlighted the SOGC clinical practice guidelines that were published last year, uh, when we basically, uh, uh, get the attention to, um, the fact that women might experience depressive symptoms in spares, impaired sleep and cognitive changes, and then discuss the evidence-based treatments that are available for symptomatic menopausal women. And we're going to highlight the evidence-based treatment for mood symptoms during that time. So the the key distinction here is between women who have a new onset of depression versus a recurring depression for a new onset of depression. Really, there's enough evidence for uh, treating depression across the lifespan with all those agents, SSRIs, SNRIs, putazapine, quetiapine, and cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. They're all first-line indications for depression. And they work around the reproductive cycle for women, particularly menopause women, perimenopause women. All those agents have evidence base for treatment. For recurrence, what is more important to keep in mind is a prior response to a particular treatment should guide your decision as your first selection. In other words, if a woman enters the perimenopause suffering from depression and she had a history of responding well to a specific medication or a behavioral intervention, that should be your first choice. That should be probably guiding your decision. At the same time, it's very important to keep in mind uh, that uh, when you consider estrogen for therapy, uh, there are some things that some evidence suggesting that estrogen would be helpful for perimenopausal, but not, not postmenopausal women. So, there's a window of opportunity for estrogen to have mood enhancing effects or antidepressant effects. But also important for um, women who have significant and bothersome vasomotor symptoms or sleep problems. So, the coexistence of vasomotor symptoms or sleep problems and mood symptoms magnify or increase the chances of estrogen therapy to be a good option. And how would you use that? So, you can consider estrogen as an option. Uh, and, and try to achieve antidepressant benefits within four to six weeks. And then you might achieve overall benefits, not only for mood, but also for vasomotor symptoms and quality of life and the use of estrogen in combination with antidepressants as a combo therapy might be quite effective for some women in the future. Probably we're going to have some new agents and very exciting and promising treatments for depression. Keep in mind that ketamine and esketamine, uh, there was many studies looking at NMDA receptor antagonists. The gaba receptors that we now have for perinatal depression might be uh, emerging treatment options for midlife women as well. The NK1 and NK3 receptor antagonists have a significant and very promising effect on vasomotor symptoms, but also some studies suggesting benefits for mood and sleep. And last but not least, some exciting, but it's still very new um, and, and deserving more investigation, the use of psychedelics, particularly psilocybin as an antidepressant. Treatment for for depression in general. So take-home messages for the ambassador program here: Depression is common. It's a burdensome condition that affects both men and women, but women can be particularly vulnerable during the menopausal transition. The antidepressants and behavior interventions remain the first-line treatment for depression across the lifespan, uh, including the midlife women or perimenopausal depression. When you're planning treatment for perimenopausal women, not only think about first onset versus recurrence. But also, safety and tolerability are very important, and the presence of other symptoms, vasomotor symptoms, or sleep and anxiety. Estrogen-based therapies can be effective, particularly the use of transdermal astrodiol, several studies showing benefits, or antidepressant benefits. They should be part of the treatment armamentarium, or the tool, Uh, one one more tool in your toolbox. But they are not first-line treatment for depression. Just keep in mind, antidepressants and behavior interventions, such as CBT, are your first-line treatment. So next, I'm going to talk about the presentation by Dr. Pauline Maki in the Science of Brain and Foggy Menopause. And Dr. Maki highlighted in that presentation that cognitive changes in menopausal women or, or perimenopausal women happens in a small percentage of women. So most women will maintain their cognitive performance through perimenopause and postmenopausal years. But 10% will experience what we call clinically significant changes that can persist into the postmenopausal years. So what are those changes that happens during that time? So they're not really attention or working memory. And she reviewed several studies, including the pan ovarian agent study, and study of women's health across the nation is one study. And what she showed in her presentation that women have cognitive changes, particularly with verbal learning and verbal memory. In other words, your ability to learn and memorize things orally, for instance, as you pay attention to this presentation, your ability to really retain that information and learn information that you actually um, listen to or hear for the first time um, through a verbal, uh, verbal process. So what happens to those changes as women transition to postmenopause? So although the cognitive changes seem to be consistently in the areas of verbal learning, verbal memory, when we look at what happens as women transition to postmenopause, the picture is not as consistent, as clear as the picture during the perimenopause. So, in the postmenopause women, some of those changes in verbal learning, verbal memory, are recovery, as you can see in the right-hand side of the slide here, when you see the yellows and greens. But it's not really consistent like the changes we saw in the perimenopause. So there'll be significant recovery, but not full recovery, and not a very clear picture of what would change and what would change. But Dr. Maki gave us some interesting insights on the many factors that might be contributing to the cognitive functioning, but also the cognitive reserve that women will come to the perimenopause and postmenopause years. And she highlighted four different factors that could be contributing to verbal memory. And the important message here is that those are modifiable factors. So there are things that we can do in terms of lifestyle, but also medications and pharmacological and hormone interventions that can help the verbal memory. You can increase or enhance the verbal memory. So she highlighted the role of astrodiol or low astrodiol, the role of vasomotor symptoms, the presence in severity, the hot flashes and eye sweats, the low mood, but also the poor sleep or sleep inefficiency. So we're going to be discussing each of those very briefly. So in terms of a low astrodiol, uh, what happens in the postmenopausal years? Which is interesting. The perimenopause we discussed the role of hormonal changes or estrogen fluctuations increasing the risk for mood or mood symptoms or even uh, poor verbal memory or learning memory. So in the postmenopausal years, there there are low estradiol levels for those who are not receiving hormone therapy. There are low estradiol levels, but they are consistently low, so they're not exposed to the hormonal fluctuations anymore. So how does the brain work, how the brain compensates for that? So there are now studies showing that the brain compensates to the postmenopausal brain will compensate, uh, to the lower estrogen levels by increasing the connectivity, the crosstalk between the the brain hemispheres. And that's what the study showing that the activity in the left and the right hippocampus increased in perimenopause in postmenopausal women. Compared to the pre or peri women, I you can see here in the picture. So it's almost like the brain trying to increase its activity to really compensate for the low levels of estrogen. So that's the good news that even in the absence of hormonal therapy, the brain catches up and can actually increase its functioning. The other uh, data that she presented was the activity of vasomotor symptoms, the intensity and the severity of hot flashes really influencing poor cognitive performance. So there's study trying to assess verbal memory and those women who have severe and more frequent hot flashes not only show poor verbal memory performance, but also the activity in the hippocampus for verbal lem- verbal learning was affected by hot flashes. So the take home message here is that hot flashes intensity and frequency of hot flashes can increase, um, can decrease verbal memory. So actually reduce the verbal memory functioning. And that seems to be related to presence of hot flashes. So the, the flip side of that, that maybe by reducing or treating hot flashes, it would improve, improve verbal memory in postmenopausal women. The next message is about sleep or sleep quality or sleep efficiency. And what she shows is that in women suffering from sleep inefficiency, when sleep is affected, the quality of sleep is affected. You also have altered functions in the brain, particularly in the hypocampus, when the memory is encoded. In other words, the ability to to mark or engrave the memory into your brain is affected by poor sleep or inefficient sleep, suggesting as well that changing sleep patterns or improving sleep efficiency could also improve memory in postmenopausal. So the take-home message from Dr. Mack's talk is that cognitive changes around the perimenopause appear to be transient. And as I mentioned to you, Most women would not experience those, but some will experience changes, particularly in verbal memory and verbal learning, the ability to memorize and retain information. Most women will not have persistent cognitive changes over time, so they will go away, but some will have persistent changes. The good news is that many of the factors that contributed to poor verbal memory and learning in that phase And and that transition from perimenopause to postmenopause, they are modifiable. So, estradiol levels, vasomotor symptoms, sleep patterns, and low mood. So, by improving estrogen levels or estradiol levels, by using hormonal therapy when needed, by treating hormonal, uh, treating hot flashes, the intensity and severity of hot flashes, by improving sleep, sleep hygiene measures, or other measures to improve efficiency and quality of sleep, and by treating mood or enhancing mood, uh, these are all modifiable uh, factors that could lead to a better improvement, better better memory in postmenopausal women. So I hope you learned something new, and you can use that information in your practice. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Suarez, for that excellent summary. And I'm sure we learned a lot from your presentation today. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Wolfman. It was my pleasure to be part of this program. Thank you.